According to the latest research and reports by experts in the study of loneliness and social isolation, more than three in five Americans consider themselves lonely, with more and more people reporting feeling like they are left out, that they are poorly understood or lacking companionship in some way. This is according to a report back in 2019. The survey found that 63% of men to be lonely. 58% of women said that they were. And what they find, and what they've been finding for years, is that it is not good for us. Social isolation significantly increased a person's risk of premature death from all causes. Loneliness was associated with higher rates of depression and anxiety. The chief medical officer for behavioral health at Cigna says that there is a treatment. Okay, this is what he says. In-person connections are what really matters. Sharing that time to have meaningful interactions and meaningful conversations to share our lives with others is important to help us mitigate and minimize loneliness. In a nutshell, according to latest reports and experts, it's not good for us to be alone. According to biblical reports, dating back to the beginning of human history, God says it's not good for us to be alone. According to biblical documents given to us by God over 3,000 years ago, this is our passage today from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. According to God's documentation on the subject, he says this, two are better than one. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come here as people who need, as people who are dependent, as people who are struggling, and we need you, Father. We admit that we need your church, and we need the things that you have given and what you have established, and Father, we need you. Spirit, we need your presence here. We're so grateful for it. Guide us, teacher, we pray, in all the things that we need, in all the ways, give us the power, give us, Give us the ability to be able to respond to you in everything that we need to do in order to respond to you in the passage that you have before us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we don't need the latest polls. Like, we don't need the latest research to tell us that it's not good to be alone, right? This is what we've been told from the beginning. This is what the wisdom of God tells us, that two is better than one. But we also know from experience that two can also be harder than one, can't it? Two people, as they get closer, so do their opinions, right? As people get closer, then, then so do their viewpoints, and so do their rhythms. And as, as these get closer, it seems to bring more friction, doesn't it? The friction of a relationship, of a partnership, of a friendship, of a marriage, there is friction. It's, it's challenging to think about someone else's interests other than just my own. Not to be self-serving, but to, to listen to someone else and their ideas, 
to adjust and, and to compromise to someone? Or what about as we get closer to someone and they experience challenges and difficulties and, and they experience sorrow? Their challenges and difficulties, the closer we get to that person, then, then the more we experience that challenge and difficulty, the more that their sorrow becomes our sorrow. What about trusting somebody else? Can that be difficult? When two get closer and work for the sake of the other, then two is going to be harder than one. And because two feels harder, I know people who tend then to label that and to respond to two, and they respond to that by keeping it at an arm's distance. They, they avoid getting closer to people. They, because there's a tendency in us as human beings, uh, there's a tendency in us to avoid hard things, isn't there? If it's, if it's difficult, then we tend to move away from it based upon how we define it. If it's difficult, then it must be harmful. If it's difficult, then it, then it must be wrong. If it's difficult, then, then it must be bad, and so we avoid it, or we move away from it, or we keep it at an arm's length. What if, though, instead of moving away from something that is difficult in our lives, what if instead we moved toward something that is difficult, what would that mean? Well, primarily, it would probably mean that we have redefined, right? That we have redefined that difficult thing. Let me give you an example. So, one of the things that I love to do in the Pacific Northwest is I love backpacking. It's because years ago, when I was 18, I went on my first backpacking trip, which I use that term very loosely, uh, because I had my sleeping bag under one arm, and I had, a, had my pillow shoved like in the crack of it. And in the other hand, I was helping a buddy carrying a cooler. And we went miles in, right? And in the cooler, uh, there were cans of soda, there were hot dogs, there were cans of chili, uh, but we forgot a can opener. Uh, I, had a, <laughs> I had a small little bag on my back. I didn't have a tent, but I had a tarp. Uh, I was going to make this like, you know, I, I had imagined this thing like where we make this thing uh, where there's the shelter, right? And uh, it, it was just ridiculous, but I forgot rope. Uh, uh, I, I, we brought stuff to, to, uh, to bake a fire, like matches, but we, we didn't bring any kindling. And of course, everything was soaking wet and it took like 18 hours to build a fire. My buddy in the middle of the night, he hurt his back really, really bad. And so on the way out the next day, then I had my one arm then, uh, I had like, I had like the, the sleeping bag, all like this makeshift crazy contraption on me. With one arm, I'm helping my buddy. The other hand, I'm, I'm dragging the cooler out. Uh, it, it, was, it was the hardest thing that I've ever done. And when I got home, then my roommates asked me, how was the trip? And I said, it was the best trip ever, right? <laughs> it was the best trip ever. It was the, the, it was the most exhilarating experience that I'd had in the woods up until that point. And I immediately began making plans to go and make another trip, this time with a list of things that I should bring, right? And I wanted to share it with other people. And I have. I, now, at least, I go at least four times in the summer on a backpacking trip. I wanted to experience with other people, and I have. I've, I've brought some of you. I've brought some of my, my friends outside of the church, some, of the, some non-believers that I've worked with. I, I bring my kids every single year. My kids, they know. They know it is going to be hard. They know 
that the trip is going to be challenging. They know they're going to be stretched in some point on the journey, but they also know that water has never tasted so sweet. The warmth of the fire has never been so inviting than when you're sitting around the camp. Right, food has never tasted so good as when you have it on the trail or you have it on camp. It connects with something in me. It connects with something in my children. And we move in the direction of backpacking because we know the deep connection it has in us and we have redefined it accordingly. What about the church? What about small groups of people meeting together what about the relationship in the church as brothers and sisters, the love and the unity that God has called us to? I've been in church long enough, and I know many of you have too or longer, to know that being an active part of the church can be hard. It can be difficult. But when I get home after spending Sunday morning with all of you, when I get home after spending time with my grow group, after I come home, after spending some time around the Word of God with some of you and, and in prayer, when I get home, consistently, consistently, I realize it's the best trip ever. It's the best trip ever. I mean, yeah, two is more complicated than one. Yeah, two is harder than one, but you've never tasted water as sweet or food or the warmth of the fire has never been so good as when we spend time together in the name of Jesus. And I am convinced that when it comes to the church and the fellowship of believers, that it's so good not in spite of the difficulties, but partly because of it. Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. What kind of process is that? Sparks come to mind, right? Like friction comes to mind. The Bible says that we're to, to spur, to stir, to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Can it be challenging being together? Of course it can. But we redefine it, first of all, as something that is better. We redefine it according to what God tells us. And we re-redefine re it according to the way God has designed us. See, he's made us. He has designed us according to a blueprint, a blueprint according to his infinite wisdom and understanding. And he says according to his blueprint, according to his blueprint and the way has, he has, that he has designed us, that it's not good for us to be alone. And so early on in the beginning, he made a suitable partner. It's not good for us to walk this life of faith alone. And so one of the reasons... For this, he established the church. Then he made us a part of the church. He brings us into what is called the body of Christ. He repurposes me. He repurposes you to be a part of that body, not as an optional thing. This is the way that he's made us. This is the way that he has saved us. We're not meant to be alone. So in order to thrive in life, to thrive in faith, to thrive in our, our purpose and, and reason for existence, we need each other. We need community. We, we are designed for it. And as believers, we need the church. The church is the blueprint for our salvation. It's according to his blueprint for our connection with Christ. So it makes sense then that from the wisdom that God gives, Ecclesiastes tells us that two are better than one. And then gives us some reasons for why that is true. Notice, two are better than one because... 
and then begins to explain a few reasons for why that is true. Two is better than one generally because with two there is more, more than just the number of people. With two, it says there's first of all reward for their toil. And the idea here is there's an increase of revenue. There's an increase of revenue. And certainly you could apply this principle to work or to a job or a task that needs to be done, right? We, we, taught, we say uh, uh, teamwork makes the dream work, or we say uh, many hands make light work. But the increase of revenue with two, it goes much deeper than just doing a job or making money or, or getting stuff done. God gives us work to do in his kingdom work to do for one another, work to do in the world that we live in. Ephesians chapter 4 says, and he gave apostles, right? He, that is God, that gave the church, gave the church apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, that is all of us, for what? For the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. And this work, it connects with who we are. Not so that we can be saved. Earlier in Ephesians, it talks about that we are not saved by works. We're saved by faith, not by works. We aren't saved by the work that God has given us to do. Instead, when we're saved, we are his workmanship, it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this work of ministry had as much more than just the work of providing shelter it's much more than just uh, uh, providing food on the table. It's, it's more than just raising the, the job of raising kids, although the work that God gives us is certainly in those things, right? But it goes beyond just the task of surviving. It goes beyond just the task of making money. There is a fundamental work from God that is embedded into all the other things, into everything that we do. Jesus says in John chapter 6, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The fundamental work that God has given us to do in this life is the work of faith. And we're not designed to do this kind of work alone. The work of encouraging and building up of faith, this, this happens together. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Take care, brothers and sisters. Exhort one another every day because there is a threat of unbelief. And this kind of work that God has given to us, this kind of work is not done from a distance. It's not done with some small talk on Sunday morning. It's done in, in close proximity with other believers. And the work of faith and the revenue of faith, this work is too important to ignore. The eternal revenue of this kind of work is too important for me to think that I can do it on my own. There's an increase of the eternal revenue from us working together for something as important as our faith. And there's another kind of work that he gives us too. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and the works that are to be done in love. The fundamental work that God has given to us in this life is the work of love, and we are not designed to do this kind of work alone. And the return, the revenue, when we are active in our role, part of the body of Christ, to do the work with other parts, to spur and to stir and to provoke that love and those works in each other, and then in return receive that stirring from other people in us to be encouraged in our faith and to pray for one another, the increase of revenue for this kind of work is exponential. The increase of revenue that we can experience with two is not just double, it is tenfold, it is twentyfold, it is a hundredfold in our lives. There's good reward for our toil. There's an increase of the eternal revenue from us working together and pointing each other to Jesus. The second reason that we're given that two is better than one is that there is an increase of support. I love this. There's an increase of support. It says if they fall, that is two, if the two, if, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So a few years ago, went on a backpacking trip, uh, and it was way, the trip in was way harder than we thought. There was, there was four of us. Okay, thanks, Scott. Uh, the trip in was way more difficult than we expected. Uh, there was a lot more elevation gain. Uh, there was, the, 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 the conditions were a lot more treacherous. We didn't know exactly where the camp spot was. Uh, it, it was way further than we thought. And one of us uh, was not quite as prepared physically for the trip as they should have been. I, th- I don't think any of us were physically prepared for this trip, but one in particular was not. And at, at some point, because of fatigue, uh, that he slips and he, and he falls, he kind of hurt his leg, and he, he, gets, he gets rattled a little bit. And, and, sent, and, and after that, things just kind of went downhill. He got slower. Uh, he overheated. Uh, he was running out of water. Uh, and at some point, we realized that we just can't, continue like normal, right? We can't ignore him, we, and we couldn't leave him, right? So, uh, so the, th- the attention of the three turns to the one, and one of us took off their backpack, hid it in the bushes, and went and grabbed his, took it off, and carried it. The other one put his arm around him and says, man, I got you. We can do this together. The third one, that was me. I ran off ahead. I looked for the camp spot. I discovered that it was just it's like 10 or 15 minutes away. I came hustling back, and I said, man, good news. It's be encouraged, right? It's just right around the corner, and it's amazing. It's the best sight you've ever seen. Life can be like this. Can't it at times? The journey can get really hard. The challenges of this life can catch us off guard. Just one misstep and we can fall, we can, we can struggle under a heavy load. There are people in my life, there are people in this church, and they are watching me very closely with eyes of love. They're watching me. 
They're looking out for me. They're watching for any missteps, any telltale signs of struggle, of a heavy weight, of exhaustion, a kind of exhaustion that would, that would lead to, to doubt, where doubt would begin to creep in and, and, and wonder, can I do this? Can we do this? They're looking out for me, and I am looking out for them. And here is what I know about these people in my life. Here's what I know about a good helper of people who fall or struggle to have a good friend, to have a good companion, to experience the power of two means that when you fall and maybe you make a fool of yourself, right? maybe you fall and you hurt yourself or in the process you hurt other people or maybe you feel like you're, you're stuck with no options and, and no way out, to have two means that you have someone to come alongside of you and remind you that you have not done a permanent job that when you feel like you couldn't possibly take another step, to have two means that you have someone to come alongside of you and remind you that, that, that it's not a permanent condition, that you aren't permanently stuck. To have someone there when we fall, when the load feels unbearable, when we get hurt or when we feel weak, to come alongside and say, I got you. It looks like you're struggling. Put your arm around me, I can help that looks like a lot of weight that you're carrying, let us help you carry that weight. And oh, by the way, I know where we're going. I know the way. I know the spot. It's, it's, it's closer than it, than it seems. We can get there. Let's do this together. And the Bible is clear. And our experiences testify to the fact that none of us are perfect. And that falling is inevitable. All of us will fall in some way. All of us will feel worn out at some point. The journey will get hard and our burdens all get heavy from time to time. And every single one of us will need the stability and the assistance that comes in the power of two. And maybe you're here and you have fallen. Maybe you've fallen. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're carrying a heavy weight. And it feels unbearable. And maybe you know all too well what it feels like when our passage says, woe. Woe to the person who falls and no one's there. Woe to the person who's alone when he or she falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe. It's an expression of grief, of despair. Can I just encourage those who might be experiencing this woe right now, if you're a believer and you're experiencing the woe of one, let me tell you, this is not a permanent condition. If you're a believer, then you've been made a part of the church. You've been made a part of the body of Christ along with other parts to work, to minister, to encourage, to lift up, to build up in close proximity, together, up close with other people. Romans chapter 12 says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We are members of the same body, which means we belong to each other brought together as indispensable parts one of another. The church, this church here at Gateway, is where God is providing all of us with the benefits of two. This 
is God's provision for God's design. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, it's not according to his design that we were to carry the burdens of life on our own. We're not meant to pull ourselves up by our, our own bootstraps. We're not meant to, to grin and bear it by ourselves and, and bear the weight of this life on our own. The more that we think that we can make it on our own, then the further we move away from God's design, then the further we move away from what God has for us. And it is according to his sweet law that you and I have someone to pick us up and provide support on our journey. And with two, there's also an increase of warmth. It says if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And I think it's easy when we read that, it's easy to think of a married couple, right? We can certainly apply this uh, to the relationship between a husband and wife because I think there are obvious connections there. But the application of this, it goes much broader than that, right? In the ancient world, it was not considered to travel alone. It wasn't wise to travel alone for various different reasons, one of which was that at night in the wilderness, in the desert, it gets really cold. And if you're by yourself laying there in the wilderness, laying there in the cold, then you would be lacking a necessary component, a traveling companion for warmth, for comfort, a person to be, to be next to, to be, to be close to, and to experience the mutual advantage of each other's warmth. Which, what does that do? It brings comfort. It brings comfort when life is cold, and dark, right after talking about the body of Christ, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted to one another. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Second Corinthians chapter 1 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, as we get closer to others in the church, as we get closer to others in our household, as, and as we embrace the work of ministry that God has given us to do, we share the warmth that God has given to us And we do that for one another. We share the warmth that God has given to us with each other. Isolation, independence. It's about struggling with cold, dark nights alone and not experiencing the sharing of warmth and comfort that comes with two. And lastly, with two, there is an increase of security. There's an increase of security. Another reason to not travel alone in the ancient world is because there was plenty of dangers, right? It says in verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. So if you're by yourself, and this isn't just for the ancient world, obviously, right? If, you, like, you, if you're by yourself, you could easily be taken advantage of by those who are looking to hurt you, those who are looking to steal from you. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a good example. The guy was all alone. He gets ambushed. Uh, he gets stolen from and beat up and left for dead. There are certainly people in our society, isn't there, that are looking to steal from us. 
and to hurt us in some way, but there's also circumstances in our lives and people in our lives looking to steal from us in more ways than just physically, more than just material possessions. There are circumstances that look to take from us internally as well, and as believers, we also have a common enemy. We don't wrestle. We don't fight against flesh and bone. Our enemy, our fight, is against a foe who is invisible and evil. It is not good for us to travel alone. It is not safe. We all need someone there who has our back, who is shoulder to shoulder with us in the trenches, who can hunker down in the face of a storm with us and serve us in that storm. And we do this together by serving each other in a way that fits, that fits our particular need, that fits our particular attack, that fits our particular need that we have. This is not done from a distance. This is not done from a distance. Independence, isolation, we're not designed for that. And we aren't weak if we admit that we are dependent and to admit that we need someone to have our back. We aren't aren't needy. We aren't weak if we admit that. It means that we see more clearly our design. It means that we see more accurately the protection that we require from one another for this life. And our passage ends like this in verse 12, a threefold cord is not quickly broken, or in other translations, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And commentators say generally the principle is that community is better than isolation. But isn't it interesting that it goes two, 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 and then ends with three? I think what helps me understand this transition, what I'm really drawn to in this passage, is the word cord, or we could use the word rope, or use the word uh, cable, where three individual strands are woven together or twisted together in such a way as the strength that it has goes way beyond the strength of the sum of its parts, right? In other words, a cord of three strands is stronger than just the, 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 the capacity of a single strand multiplied by three. We know this. A rope, especially a cable, it, it provides incredible strength. A cable has holding power to be able to hold up suspension bridges individually. Individually, as believers, we can have struggles in our faith. We can have struggles to keep in step with the Spirit. Our our holding capacity in this life, the strength of our faith and love, it can be lacking because we can act as a single strand. We can make decisions as a single strand. We can try to bear the weight of this life and try to stand in the face of attacks against our faith as individual strands. We try to act and live in a way in which we are not. We are not made or saved as an individual strand. We are grafted in. We are made a part of the single body of Christ. And Jesus says we are to abide in him. We are the branches. He is the vine. We're to be a part of him, joined, attached to him, woven together, united together, not just as believers, but with a third, with Christ. You, me, Jesus, woven, knitted together. This is a core, brothers and sisters, that is not easy to break. 
Two are better than one, and a cord of three, that is not easy to break. And so, what do we do with all of this? What's the next step? Well, just two things. First of all, let's move away from anything that would disconnect us from God's design of fellowship. To say no. To say no to anything that takes us away from God's design. No to anything that would take you away and unravel, right? To unravel or to to fray that cord of the fellowship and the unity that we have with other believers. To to, to move away from anything that would would fray or to unravel the relationship that we have with God. If we want to know what it's like to have the support and strength and warmth and protection of being a part of a cord that is woven together than it takes being intentional and moving away from anything that would cause our cord to unravel. And one of the big things that it takes is to be intentional with our time, just to have some wiggle room in our schedules so that we're not, we're not rushing around from one activity to the next, but, but being intentional about, about slowing down and making room in our schedules for one another. See, in order to savor the sweetness of being together with other believers in the name of Jesus, then we have to be intentional and we have to make room for it. To move away, to avoid filling our schedules to the brim with activities that would take us away from God's design. To take us away from the thriving and the support and the warmth and the protection that comes when two gather in his name. And then together, intertwine ourselves in and around Jesus, to move away from unraveling. And the second is then to move toward connection with God's design of fellowship. Move toward anything that would promote weaving and turning and establishing that cord in your life. Maybe you find yourself a part of a cord that has been previously established. Maybe it's been woven or at some point in the past but maybe it hasn't been maintained. Maybe it's been allowed to fray, to unravel, and it's kind of in shambles. Take note of any unraveling in your relationships with other believers. Take note of any unraveling in your relationships at home. Take note of any unraveling in your relationship with God and take note of that and apply yourself to the work of mending of binding, of reconciling, the Bible says, and and forgiving each other, of do the work of seeking God and drawing near to him. Or maybe you find yourself in a place where you are a single strand and you feel the woe of one. And if statistics are even remotely accurate, then many of us are dealing with this. This is not a permanent condition, and we are not meant for it. There are ways for us to move in the direction to something that God has already made you a part of and provided for you here in the body of Christ. It can start right now. It has to start somehow. It starts somewhere. It can start with a handshake, a fist bump, an introduction. It starts with moving in the direction toward just knowing someone and starting to spend a little bit of time with that person to get to know them more. And at this church here at Gateway, we provide opportunities for all of us to do just that, to meet people and to move in the direction of the strength found in a cord of three strands. Sunday morning is a great place to start just to meet someone, 
just to know their name, right? Just to, to, to have a little conversation that goes maybe hopefully a little bit deeper than just the game last night or, or, or the weather outside. I encourage all of us to make use of the time before church. Make use of the time after church. Many of us do. Make use of the time before the sermon to greet each other. It's a greeting time. Greet each other because we all are people here who needs another. But to have the kind of warmth and support and protection that our passage is talking about, then the depth of relationship, the, the, the intimacy, it needs to go deeper than just what we find here on Sunday mornings. That's why we have small groups. We have Bible studies. We have grow groups. We have, we have uh, reading groups. We have groups that, that play together. We have groups that train together. We have partnerships and, and reading God's Word. These are all available for us here at Gateway in order to encourage that level of intimacy to go a little bit deeper and to spend a little bit more time to have that level of intimacy go a little bit deeper and to spend time around the Word of God, to spend time around a meal, to spend a time around the living room praying for one another and studying the Bible. There are ministry teams here at Gateway that meet every single week to minister to the needs of the church. They not only minister to the needs of the church, but as they gather weekly, they minister to the needs of each other because they get to know each other and they get to share with one another the burdens of life that they're going through. They know how then to fit that need with them up close and personal and to be next to them, to serve them and to pray specifically for them. My encouragement to all of us is, is to take a step in the direction of small group life, of a grow group, of a Bible reading partnership with another believer in a ministry team, in a discipleship or mentoring relationship, or, or simply just get together with another believer for coffee and conversation to talk about the Lord and talk about life. And if you're unsure how to do this, a great way to start is by prayer. It's just simply by talking to God. God, what do you have for me? You've designed me not as a single strand, but as a cord with others and with you. God, show me what you have provided. Show me your provision for your design. God, and with your grace and with your mercy, break me of my pride, reveal the lies of independence in my life, allow me to bend my will to yours and say yes to the design for my life. You should talk with God. And it's nowhere near as significant as talking to God, but you can talk to me or you can talk to any of the staff here. We would love to help you with that. It's not just my, it's not just my job to do this. It is my absolute joy to be able to help us to connect with each other and to experience the fellowship that God has for us. It is the joy of many in this church. There are many in this room that want all of us to experience the kind of warmth and the kind of connection, and the kind of stability, and the kind of protection, and all the things that God brings with the power of two. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word, and we're grateful for your church. We're grateful for the fellowship and the unity of believers that you have created. You have done this, and you have done it for a purpose because you have designed us a certain way. Father, help us not to turn away from that. Help us not to use our own wisdom to think of what maybe what we think is better. Help us, Father, to turn to you, turn to the church, turn to what you have made us a part of. 
something that is so significant in our lives, something that is vital in our lives, and that we cannot do without. We cannot do without you, and we cannot do without our brothers and sisters. So, Father, help us lean into that. Help us to make room for it. Give us wisdom in our schedules to know how to carve out time and, and, and what to say yes to when it comes to your design and the fellowship that we are to have with other believers. Give us, all of us, give us the strength that we need in this life. Help us to encourage one another in our faith. Help us to stir one another on to love and the works that are to be done in love for one another. Help us to support each other and put our arms around each other and to carry each other's burdens and to look for ways that we can encourage each other along this trip. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for what you are doing and what you will do in this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.